I want you to look again, and I want you to notice this morning in our text here in Genesis 49, the vision and the foresight Jacob is given concerning individual paths each of his sons would walk according to the personal choices each of them would make. You'll notice Genesis 49 and verse 2, gathered together, and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel your father. And then, of course, he goes on to prophesy from his own deathbed their latter years. For Reuben, he sees one thing. For Judah and Dan, something else. Simeon and Levi would be treacherous. Benjamin would do battle. Issachar would prove timid and weak. And so it goes as Jacob compares his sons to different animals, as you know. Judah is a lion in verse 9. Issachar is a donkey in verse 14. Dan shall be a serpent by the way in verse 17. Benjamin, a wolf that is ravenous in verse 27. And then in verse 21, Naphtali, a deer let loose. This is the pattern for virtually all of his sons until he comes to his son Joseph. Because for Joseph, Jacob sees something entirely different. Something that rejoices his heart and revives his spirit. So he doesn't compare Joseph to a snake or to a wild animal. He doesn't see bloodshed or a sword. And that's because he sees in this son the only life that is truly worth living. And of course, Jacob ought to know. Jacob has lived ten lifetimes and experienced all of the deceits and disappointments of wasted years. Jacob looks at Joseph through his dimmed eyes, and he says in verse 22, look at it, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. Now, wait a minute. Think about that for a moment. Not a conqueror, not a warrior, not a tycoon or a gold medalist or a king or a pop star. No, Joseph is a fruitful bough. His life would be a blessing, a rejoicing to everyone who ever passed his way. And by the way, just as surely as you can follow the predicted lives of his brothers and see their fulfillment in they and their tribes, sure enough, with Joseph both in prospect and retrospect, you notice that no matter where he lands, no matter where he ends up, whether it's the pit or Potiphar, the prison or the palace, whether rich or poor, the one thing that Joseph's life always provided was comfort and hope and joy and blessing to all of those who are around him. Let's pray. Father, please speak to our hearts. Thank you for this amazing man the example by your grace that he provides all of us today in this Lord's day. We need to hear this. We need to see this as a model and a paradigm for us as well. Please speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. As a young boy growing up in South Florida in the 1960s, I always loved when my parents would take a little trip and drive over to Fort Lauderdale and stay a few days with my grandma and my grandpa. Grandpa Tommy built a house on a canal just off of Griffin Road, and knowing full well that his grandchildren would love it, he planted a virtual orchard in his backyard. All along the fences on both sides, there were citrus trees, oranges and grapefruit, tangerines, tangelos, honeybells, and in the middle of the yard, papaya and mango and limes and one lychee tree. 
One year when I was five or six, Grandpa apparently planted an entire row of Thai peppers next to his garage, little bushes, with the brightest red morsels nestled against those dark green leaves. I'd never seen that before. And when I asked my older brother what it was, my brother Rick, he said, Jimmy, these are candy bushes. <laughs> they grow sweet cherry-flavored fruit. However, he said, you have to crunch them in the back of your teeth to get the flavor. Well, you don't have to tell me twice, right? So not knowing these candies were like 200,000 on the Scoville scale, I took one and I crunched away, basically like putting pepper spray right in my mouth. And immediately I began to sweat and tears were coming down my little cheeks. And so naturally I wiped my eyes with my pepper-flavored fingers. My brother was not a fruitful bow. <laughs> but here's why Jacob's vision of Joseph is so powerful. Those citrus and those fruit trees at Grandpa's, they were guaranteed blessings every time we would visit there. I have these wonderful memories sitting in the shade under a Valencia or a honeybell tree, pulling apart that peel and eating all of that ripened and sweet fruit, the aroma, the taste, the color, the beauty. They blessed all of the senses that God created. So that you know what? Any time of the day, all day long, on any balmy Florida afternoon, if you were hungry or tired or thirsty, all you had to do was just go in the backyard, take your pick of all these various fruits, sit in the shade under the tree, and take care of all three of those needs, your hunger, your weariness, and your thirst. That is a fruitful bow. It brings me to three things this morning I want us to consider in the text about the blessing the value, and the glory of Joseph's life and why it should become your life and mine. The first thing you'll notice, number one, is that a fruitful bough reaches out, right? A fruitful bough reaches out. A bough is another word for branch. We use the expression, in fact, describing something that, quote, branches out, because that is exactly what a branch or a bough does. It doesn't reach inward or stay to itself or turn away from others. No, a bough is exactly what it is. It's a branch, and it takes what it has, all of its fruit and its goodness and its blessing and its bounty. It takes that, and you know what it does? It puts it out there. This time of year, this month of May, is a time of young people in graduation. Whether it's kindergarten or middle school or high school or college, there's a lot of energy and attention and resources attached to the hopes and joys and plans and relief that circle around commencement time. So many graduations. I just have one question. For all of the young people who are graduating from college, for example, what do you hope to do? Or what do you hope to become with that fresh degree? What is your life's goal now? And parents, what are your hopes? What are your plans for those young people? High school graduates, it is your highest hope to do what? Is it your highest hope that, that you will go on to become famous or wealthy or powerful? 
What kind of a person do you see yourself as five or ten years from now? A person, person with position or popularity maybe is the dream of driving the fastest car or wearing the latest fashion. Or maybe just this perpetual Caribbean cruise or skiing on the Alps nonstop. Whatever it is, can I remind you what this world actually needs and what God has called us to become? You understand that we live in a culture that's saturated in narcissism, greed, excess, and covetousness. The woods are full of people already who live in houses that are full of mirrors instead of houses that are full of windows. And everybody wants to sing, I did it my way, instead of, Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. One of the unique blessings of pastoring here in South Florida through these years is being able to get to know some of the old faithful preachers of the past. You know, sometimes they come down here, Palm Beach County and other, other places, and they retire and they're forgotten and they're unused. Fred Garland was one of those, and Dr. Joel Stoll Sr. was another one of those. I only got to know Brother Stoll in his late 80s and 90s, and many of you got to know him as I invited him every chance I could to speak. Once in his 90s, he was talking about preaching in normal Illinois. He was uh, stationed in Illinois most of his career, and he's reading the paper there, and he noticed a section with wedding announcements, and one of them was for a, a girl from the city of Oblong, Illinois. She was marrying the local boy, and the headline said, Normal Boy Marries Oblong Girl. <laughs> I think I've seen that a couple times in weddings. I'm not sure. Brother Stoll spent years in the ministry fighting. Fighting for the faith. Because he had to. But through all those years fighting for the faith, he was always such a fruitful bow. Right, Brother Sam? Brother Sam's nodding head. Always refreshing, he and his wife both. As a young preacher back then, I, I tried to understand how he did it. Never became bitter, sour. And after asking him questions and listening to his sermons and my observation of he and his wife, I figured it out. I figured it out. He chose that path. Like Joseph, his namesake, he just chose not to get bitter. And then he chose to embrace the fruits of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, did you ever compare Joseph to the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Temperance in Potiphar's house? Long-suffering in front of his brothers? It's almost as if all nine of those were on display when he stood before his treacherous brothers and he forgave them. Talk about a branch that bore fruit. We said, number one, a fruitful bough reaches out. This is what your life and mine is meant to do. It is meant to reach out. The second thing you'll notice, number two, is a fruitful bough reaches over. Once again, what did Jacob see? Verse 22, Joseph is a fruitful bough, and you'll see what it says, whose branches run over a wall. 
In other words, Joseph wasn't just a blessing to some inner circle or some exclusive group or immediate family, not at all. This man Joseph in his life was a blessing to an Egyptian officer, to fellow prisoners, to the king he was under, to outside nations in and around, and also to his messed up brothers. And can I just remind all of us here at Beacon Baptist Church that this is exactly how it's supposed to be for children of God. It's not just the four walls of this building or of that building over there. And it's not just my family and my church and my people. Beloved, it's all of those tired and thirsty and hungry people who are out there. It's that server in that restaurant, that neighbor across the street, That little one in the public school, that recent immigrant or lonely nursing home resident, that hospital patient, that annoying coworker. Folks, people in this world are tired and thirsty, and the sun beats down on their parched, shadowless lives until they nearly choke on the desert sands of life's disappointments and deceits. People are broken in this world. You know what they need. They need what people found in our Lord Jesus 2,000 years ago. They need a fruitful bough. They need to cross the path of someone whose life overflows with fruit that goes over the wall to the Samaritan and the Syrophoenician and the leper and the centurion and all of those that our Lord refreshed when no one else ever would. Pastor, why do we go into public schools and minister to children that are not in our church? Why do we open up the gym on Monday and Tuesday night to strangers? And why pick up a a bus kit? And why have free VBS to outsiders? Why are there so many missionaries out there on that wall in nursing homes? Why? Why jail every Sunday? Why live stream? Why social media and teen visitation knocking on doors? They don't want us to come. Here's why. It's because the fruit is supposed to go over the wall. In 1970, there was a fruitful bough in Hope Mills, North Carolina that went over their wall and convinced a disinterested 12-year-old boy to ride their bus to church. And today that boy is 65 and stands here with great gratitude for that. Yesterday, as Brother Kevin was playing his trumpet at the funeral, I was glad the fruit of this church went over the wall and reached his family. Mike down here is a Beacon bus kid. Now here he is, 60 years old, fine young man serving God. (laughs) We have folks in here who were reached at a fair, in a child evangelism booth. Others in a gospel crusade. One was reached in a prison, and we love Brother Remo. It's one of the reasons I love to hear testimonies at communion time because you can see that in almost every single case, it's a beautiful picture that somebody, somebody had fruit fruit that reached over their wall. Number one, a fruitful bough reaches out. Number two, a fruitful bough reaches over. Number three, and this this is vital, a fruitful bough reaches down. You see, you'll notice verse 22 says what? Joseph is a fruitful bough by a well. A well? Yes. 
Remember Psalm 1? In fact, have you ever noticed the connection between Psalm 1 and Joseph's life? It's astonishing. Here's what it says in Psalm 1 and verse 3. I'll put it on the screen for you and I'll read it. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. See where he's planted? He's planted by the water. But notice what it says. That bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. He's planted by the water, and therefore he prospers. Now I want you to notice Joseph's life. Earlier on, it's in Genesis 39. Notice what it says in verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was prosperous, a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And then verse 23, the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with Joseph, him, and that which he did, and the Lord made him to prosper. And what's it say in our text? Joseph is a fruitful bough by a well, a tree planted by the rivers of water. Don't tell me, tell me the word of God isn't perfect. And yes, beloved, all of this is a reminder that we don't have any fruit. It is a reminder that we are not any kind of a bow at all. We're nothing as a blessing. If we are not drawing from the well of God's word, God's truth. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do, what's the word? Nothing. Nothing, pastor? Okay, nothing life-changing, nothing worth aiming for. Nothing compared to the life that is lived for Christ by living for others. Out in the highways and byways of life, many are weary and sad. Carry the sunshine where darkness is rife, making the sorrowing glad. You know, in the book of Genesis, God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth. But Cain wanted to build a city. Cain wanted to build a city and stay cloistered under the umbrella of humanism. Later in Genesis, God told Noah and the family, replenish, scatter, he said. But some people wanted to get together and under and in Babel get under the umbrella once again of humanism. And God said a language to, to mix them up and scatter them. In Jerusalem, the early church, the early Christians were told to go by Jesus into all the world and take that gospel, the fruit. But Christians wanted to stay in Jerusalem and live under the umbrella of a collective society. And so God allowed persecution to come. And he said, no, scatter. Go here, go there. Take that fruit everywhere. Country club churches today want to remain inbred and exclusive. The frozen chosen who see themselves as the real deal and instead of reaching out over the wall, they're just magnets for other umbrella seekers. Help me, Lord, in all the work I do to ever be sincere and true and know that all I do for you must needs be done for others. When Jesus said in John chapter 10, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, 
these also must I bring? He was referring to the people that the disciples and others didn't really care about. Gentiles, outcasts, messy people, the lost. That text in John chapter 10, verse 16, is engraved on the tombstone of David Livingston. David Livingston was a missionary in Africa, as you know. He went to that nation when he realized that they were the fires of thousands of tents. It had no word, no gospel, and so he left England and, of course, criticized. Why are you going there and messing with their culture? But he went and he gave his life, and when he died, the, the people who loved him there in Africa said, bury his heart in Africa. You can bury him in England, but bury his heart here, and they did. He was buried in Westminster Abbey, and on his tombstone was that text, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. These also I must bring. When Peter Scott, who founded the African Inland Mission, grew discouraged and tired, he came back to England and he decided he's, he's done, it's just too hard. And one day, as, as a tourist in his own homeland, he went to Westminster Abbey and he saw that engraving. And it convicted and encouraged his heart. And he went back to Africa and did a great work for God. What do you want to be? All you young people graduating high school, graduating college, all you parents who have young people, some of you are now holding a little one. What do you see for them? Oh, man, she could make it to American Idol. If this one could just become successful. Successful in what? In this society? With our, our country and our world's values? Joseph calls his sons to him and he sees in them their future. I see a warrior and I see a man, he's like a serpent. And then he calls Joseph over and he says, I see a fruitful bough. I see one who reaches out and reaches over and he's a fruitful bough by a well. How about that becomes our goal and our calling? Somewhere around you, in your neighborhood, maybe in your home, where you work, I promise you that in all of these restaurants that may be open today, those servers and those workers in there, those people, whether they know it or not, the ones who are without Jesus are tired and hurting and blind and in great need. And God calls you not to go in there and be demanding and to further lay on more burdens and to be so disappointed. God calls you and me in our neighborhood and in our workplace and where we go to shop and eat. God calls us to be a fruitful bough, to be a blessing everywhere we go. Some of you in this room need exactly what we're talking about. You're the one who's barren. You don't know for sure if you died today, you'd be in heaven. Somewhere along your life, someone has blessed you because of their faith, because of their walk with God, because of their relationship with Jesus. God has gracefully brought that person in your life so that you would see the difference and turn to the Lord Jesus yourself. Today is the day of salvation for you. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment.
Joseph is a fruitful bough. He is a fruitful bough whose branches run over the wall. And furthermore, he's planted by a well. I don't really know that I can go to church. I can worship God, you know, my own way, wherever I am. No, you need to come to a well faithfully. It's God's design. The only way you're going to have fruit and continue to bear fruit is to keep taking in the water of the word. Pastor Blalock, I'm here today and I'm a Christian. And I'm saved. I'm thankful for that. But I needed this reminder. It's not really trite to say it, but it's not about me and it's not about you. God blesses us and blesses you so that you can bless others. Most especially with the gospel. Pastor, I'm here today and I'm saved by God's mercy and grace, but I needed this message today. The Lord has spoken to my heart about something. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands where you are through the building and I raise mine? Any package wrapped up in itself is a small, small package. And lives that make a difference, that truly make a difference, from birth until God calls them home, are lives that are fruitful boughs that reach out and over. That's what this church needs to be and must stay always. For those in this room who are not sure about your salvation, you'd say this morning, Pastor Blake, that's me. I'm here today and I'm not sure. Maybe you're watching online somewhere. I'm not really sure if I died, I'd be in heaven, but I want to be sure and I need to be sure. I won't embarrass you, but could we just pray for you? Pastor, that's me. I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you pray for me? Who would say that? Would you lift your hands high enough where we can see it? All right. We're going to pray in a moment. And as always, have a time of invitation. And this is always a time to do business with the Lord. You know, I said earlier this statement when I watched Brother Stoll and listened to his messages, took him out to eat and asked questions. It occurred to me that he just, there were times in his life, just like with Joseph, exactly like with Joseph, times in his life when he could have chosen to turn inward and have a pity party or become bitter. But he just decided, he chose to stay by the well, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that he had the fruits of the Spirit, and to be a fruitful bough, and he was. He was until the moment God called him home in his 90s. That's how we ought to be. And we can. Father, bless now the invitation we committed into your hands and we thank you for your word. Thank you again, this remarkable man. We know that in your word, for whatever reason, there are only a handful of people. Joseph and Deborah and Daniel, only a few of which nothing, nothing bad is said about them. And this man, this singular example, Lord, of a man who was not bitter, who though he was abused and lied about and betrayed, was always, always a blessing. And thank you as the example, Lord, he gives to us. We have this great calling that we can be as Christ in this world. And inasmuch as Peter stood up and introduced Jesus to the Gentiles, saying that Jesus of Nazareth went about doing good, May we understand the power and the import of those words and that testimony. And may we have the same. We'll praise you for that, for the fruit that remains because of it in Jesus' name. Amen.
On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.